0: Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. The Book of Romans centers around the question of whether faith is enough on its own. A key element to Paul's discussion is the issue of salvation. In this episode, we examine both in Romans and other books the many different kinds of salvation the Bible suggests. Perhaps the major flaw in Paul's detractors is a misunderstanding of salvation. In the second half of the book of Romans, Paul pivots to a focus on how to walk in salvation in its many forms.
1: That's really neat. I feel like some of Paul's other letters follow the same trajectory in the sense of, I just want to know what to do, like just what this looks like. And so, you know, these last parts here, are it's really kind of easy, easier, I should say, in a way to apply and see this. But I, I think what's so great about this, and again, some of Paul's other letters is, he's like working like, we've got to make sure we have the right paradigm about this, before we just focus on the mechanics of what this looks like because if you're doing these things to try to earn god's acceptance well then you're going to derail quickly exactly
2: it's all for naught it's not doing you any good so he's very careful to say this is this is our examples these are examples in in 12 and following and you know let's just just go through some of them you know he starts in 12 he makes a pivot and we hadn't done 9 through 10 yet we'll go back to that that I would say 10 and 11 are kind of the pinnacle of the argument against the pamphlet, the pamphlet argument. He crescendos his argument in 10 and 11, I think. But uh, when he gets to 12, he's now like, okay, I'm going pastoral now. I've, we've obliterated the, these uh, judgmental Jews who are trying to get you sucked off into circumcision. Let's just do some, let's just do some uh, practical uh, illustrations of what walking in the Spirit looks like. And he says, he starts that section with, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's a kind of paradoxical statement, right? Because a sacrifice loses its life for the benefit of somebody else. Mm -hmm. Old Testament sacrifice, and these Greeks were familiar with sacrifice too, by the way. They sacrificed to their pagan temples. So. Um, so you, you go get a lamb You cook the lamb The aroma goes to God And that pleases God And then you get to eat it with your friends And it pleases you Everybody's happy but the lamb <laughs> 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 So he says the reasonable thing to do the ra- Given all this stuff I've said The rational thing to do Give your life up for other people well, now you can actually see that now, given what we just went through, right? Mm-hmm. This is the way to get the greatest reward you can possibly give, just like Jesus did. He gave himself up to please God and to serve others. And when he did, he was totally fulfilled. That's, the same. That's why this is rational and reasonable. And then, so how do you do that? All right, well, don't be conformed to the world. That's where... Sin and wrath and condemnation comes. You can choose it if you want to. Still be a child. Nothing good. You lose what's good and you gain what's bad. Why would you want to do that? So don't do that. Don't be conformed to the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So this whole thing we've talked about is a paradigm shift, right? So shift your mind to think what's true. And what's true is acceptance is completely independent of approval. But you want the approval because that's where the benefits of life come, both in avoidance of bad things and these amazing things beyond what you can imagine that come, that are on the good side. And then he goes into, okay, well, what does that look like? Everything that he's now going to say is count, counterintuitive. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Anything natural about that? That's what, not we're, what we're normally born to, Right. But just be real, you know, think soberly. Be realistic. You got however much faith you have, use that. Understand what your function in the body is. There's all kinds of members in the body. Figure out what you do and do that. That's humility. Be who you are. All of us are prone to desire to be somebody else. Well, be who you are. Be real about who you are. And then do that. Love people, abhor what's evil, cling to what's good. Be kindly affectionate to others. Nothing. That's counterintuitive. Uh, You're not demanding things. You're giving it. And there's not be kindly affectionate to those who are affectionate to you. (laughs) You know, be kindly affectionate to others. Give preference to other people. Give focus on other people's needs. Be diligent. There's nothing natural about that. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, not self. Rejoice in hope. You've got this hope that's set before you. Instead of getting mired down in the current circumstances, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. You know, nothing, that's counterintuitive. Continually, steadfastly in prayer. So when, when you have something that is really difficult, pray. Do that. It's dependence. You know, go into dependence. Don't uh, Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. So care for other people's needs. Be hospitable. Share your stuff. Share your space. Bless those who persecute you. It's pretty counterintuitive there, yeah. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You know, be in other people's circumstances. Focus on them. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't set your thing on mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Don't pay evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, live peaceably with men. you got to... I mean, he just went a fight here, right? He duked it out with these guys. like, I'm duking out for the truth. But he made it clear. I'm not. It's not me versus them, right? It's not me versus them. It's they're telling you something that's untrue, that that has to be. So they have to be silenced. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. So that's an Old Testament verse. He's basically saying... You know, these things may seem counterintuitive, but you'll win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All of these things are winning. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you do all these things, you're winning. And then he goes on and talks more things about that. So the, these guys are saying that the, the big argument was these guys saying you've got to be circumcised to obey the laws or you're not really righteous in the sight of God. And Paul's like, mm. no, you get righteous in the sight of God just through a gift. But if you want to experience righteousness, unlike those guys who don't follow their own rules, it doesn't happen by rules. It happens by a changed heart. And the heart is changed towards God and loving other people. That's what you do. And that's what the Spirit is going to guide you to do.
1: And like you said, he's careful here to say these are some examples of what that looks like. These aren't the rules. These are the kind of manifestations, the fruit, if you will, of righteousness of what a change heart yeah, may produce.
2: Yeah. He he actually says with speaking with respect to rules. He actually addresses rules in th- in 14 where um is, you know is follow on from this section 12 13 14 about this is what it looks like. This is what living righteously and walking through faith might look like examples. He actually says I know and am convinced this is 14 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus There's nothing unclean in and of itself, so pretty much everything is okay in and of itself. It's a matter—it's a matter of application of that thing. Okay, so you know, sexual sexual intercourse is a great thing in the proper place. You know, Uh, eating is a great thing in its proper place. There's a proper. Place or everything. It's a matter of the application of it. But then he says, if somebody considers something to be unclean or, or sinful, we could say, then it is. Meet people where they are. You may be free to do something, but if it's a stumbling block for somebody else and they consider it sin, then you know, compromise with them, because you you want to focus on their 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 conscience. If they don't make people violate their conscience, so you know that's a. That's very much a spirit-oriented uh, application, even to rules and standards. So now we've talked about kind of the argument as a whole, what it looks like. The crescendo of his argument, I would say, of the pamphlet part of this, comes in 10 and 11. So now remember, he's talking to he's talking to Jews, and these Jews are using the law to argue that uh, Paul is out to lunch. He's he's uh, throwing the law overboard. He's throwing Israel overboard. He's throwing um, righteousness overboard. He he just wants an excuse to do whatever he wants to do. Throw the law out because you know you just believe in Jesus and everything's fine. Then you just go live in sin all you want to. And Paul's counter argument is: you can do that if you want to, but the consequences will be horrific. You can actually come to faith. In Christ, be in his family, and then go sin all you want to, and what you'll get then is death, condemnation, loss of reward. It's, it's horrifically bad choice, but you can. These other guys are saying you can't. But uh, then Paul is addressing what they're talking about. He calls it the righteousness of the law. So he kind of, in 930, he says, what shall we say then? Now usually when he's saying that, he will repeat some uh, accusation and then answer the accusation. But here we're getting toward the end of his, his uh, pamphlet, the pamphlet part of this, the, the political contest part of this. And he says, what shall we say then? And he actually just gives an answer. Here's, here's the summary. That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. So he's actually, he started this whole thing, the pamphlet part of it, by the righteous shall live by faith. And now he's saying is, actually, if you try to do it by rules, like these guys are, you can't find it. And it makes perfect sense if you think about it. Because if you make rules without changing the heart, you just make better lawyers. who will find loopholes. And now you can say you're following the rules when you're really not and now you have justification before God and get to do whatever you want to do and you know that doesn't work yeah
1: yeah it, it, the thought that occurs to me is you uh, if you make rules the standard rather than God himself the standard it's you know it just becomes an idol
2: yeah now, righteousness, I think it's worth talking about is, is a, again, we don't, we don't use this phrase much, but it's basically everything in life coming into harmony as you wish it would. So fulfillment, harmony of life, peace, um, what, what modern words do people, you know, wholeness, you know, that, that, that's, what, that's what the Greeks meant by this word. And the Hebrews actually. everything is as it should be. And so with you in as in your personhood, if you're seeking this, uh, that's what it should look like if you if you uh, are familiar with the Greek classic Plato's Republic, it's um it's considered a Western classic, and it was written I think about five hundred BC, something like that. and the it's, a, it's a, Plato's writing about Socrates, the famous uh, Greek philosopher. And the question that's addressed in Plato's Republic is what is righteousness? Uh, many of the English translations will use the word justice, but it's this same Greek word, dikasune. Um, what is righteousness? What is justice? And the conclusion that Socrates comes to at the end is, Justice or righteousness is when every person in a city-state like Athens does what they do best for the benefit of the group as a whole. Then everything's working like it should. So it would be like a team. You know, what makes a championship team? It's when all the players are playing their role to the best of their ability. And, you know, usually on a, like a football play or something, the defense just needs to break down one or two of the offensive assignments to disrupt the play. But if everybody does their job, then you have a successful play. And it's the same kind of thing. you know. How do you get success? It's when everybody's doing their role. Well, interestingly enough, Paul, I, th- I kind of think Paul was writing, he's a real genius guy, and this is written under the inspiration of the Spirit. I think he's writing this as a political pamphlet, primarily. But I think he's also kind of at the same time writing uh, a a contrast to uh, the Greek philosophy that might have been embodied in Plato's Republic about what righteousness is. On another level, he's actually countering Plato and Socrates. But in one respect, he comes up with the same conclusion. We've already talked about it. All the members are members of the body and they all do what's best for the body it's 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 the same in that respect mm. where it's different is who the head is so Socrates' head was a group of people he called the guardians who were supposed to be people with ennobled natures well we all know there's no such thing right and he considered himself one of those things and the other guys killed him for it so which ought to Dispense with that notion. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, in Paul's thing, it's the body has one head. That's Jesus. It's none of us. It's Jesus. That's the head. So it's very similar, though. Everybody does what they do best. difference is who gets to be the head. And in, in a, human, a human construction of righteousness, normally it's everybody do what's best and I'll be the head. And then we all fight over who gets to be the head. And in the Christian in the, uh, orientation here is righteousness is, is gained when we all believe that God has our best interest at heart and follow him. When well, now everybody's in harmony doing the same thing under the headship of Christ, and there's no competition now for me versus you.
1: So the crescendo here is that righteousness is achieved by faith in the head and the body working under the guidance of the head, which is Christ.
2: That's right. And then he goes on into ten and talks about, okay, how do you get that the contrast the two? Like how does how does the righteousness of the law happen? How does righteousness of faith happen? And in both cases he uses the Old Testament, which makes sense because his you know he's he's writing to bolster Priscilla and Aquila's team, who are Jews, with kind of leading this Gentile congregation, and he's smashing some competing Jews. That are trying to use their, uh, we're, a blight, we're a guide to the those the light, and we're a teacher of the law. All these things they said of themselves that he swatted aside. Um, he's 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 wiping them out, right? So he's talking to Jews and he's using the scripture. And he says, "So, so this is, so this is how righteousness of the law looks." And he goes and quotes from Leviticus eighteen, and he quotes a, a verse: "The right, uh, the man who does these things shall live by them." which is to say you follow the rules by following the rules. Okay, So he says that's the righteousness of the law. It doesn't work. Now, if you go, and he already said the law was fine. It wasn't the law's fault. It's our heart's fault, right? If you go look at Leviticus 18, it says, look, you're coming out of Egypt and you're going to Canaan. So what I want you to do is don't follow the example that you came from and don't follow the example that you go to. And then he goes on to describe all these twisted kinds of exploitation. Incest of every kind you can think of and all the way to child sacrifice. So don't do any of these things. And it's the all strong exploit the weak kind of stuff. And he goes through and he says, okay, don't, don't have sexual relationships with your relatives. And what I mean by that is your mom, your stepmom, your sister, your stepsister, whether they're born at home or somewhere else. So, what does he do? Closing loopholes. Why do you have to close loopholes? Because if your heart hadn't changed, you got to make more rules. Well, that never works. You just find more loopholes. And that Paul, so, Paul is tapping into that. Hmm. And then he goes and says, but here's what does work. And then he cites Deuteronomy 30. In Deuteronomy 30, it's it's at the end of Moses' speech where Moses is um, uh, basically saying, okay, here's what it boils down to. You know what's right. This isn't that hard. Like, this isn't that hard. You know. It's in your heart. Believe it, speak it, and then do it. You don't have to have an angel come explain it. You don't have to have a missionary come explain it. You know. You know what's right. Do that, and he explains that as the righteousness of faith, you know. And he and he 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 gives a little chiasm here to kind of summarize it. That's kind of a famous verse, usually misapplied, in my opinion. And it's confess with your mouth that Je- the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God's raising from the dead. You'll be saved. Walking in this negative way that we're walking about, we're we're talking about the the walk part of this, not the how do you get born again part right, right. Uh, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confessions made unto salvation salvation from the power of sin in your daily life so it's confess A believe B believe B confess A A B B A okay? and the middle part is faith believe so and he's mirroring this Deuteronomy passage believe speak do he didn't say do but it's inferred. If you believe and speak, you're going to do, right? So that's that's how that's how you do the righteousness of faith. The irony is you can use this verse to t- turn all this around to make Romans say exactly the opposite of what Paul's saying here. All you have to do is say salvation always means from the penalty of sin and confession means an, a necessity to do ongoing keeping of rules, and you can turn this into, oh, Paul said you have to be, believe and then be circumcised and obey the law, which as we've seen is exactly the, the opposite
1: of his position. So if you, if you, this is why we still struggle with this today and have throughout the history of Christianity, if you reduce salvation from the three that we've outlined to the, to the one, and if you muddle the acceptance and approval into one confused entity, then yeah, you could definitely see this and interpret it in exactly the opposite way that that Paul is trying to lay yeah. out.
2: Yeah, and then and then what you have to do then the the book itself the the letter itself stops making sense. You can't read it in its in its in entirety and make any sense of it. So what you do is just start taking bits and pieces and and fit it into this alternate paradigm. And then, ironically, you're agreeing with the detractors that he wrote this letter to to oppose in the first place. Given that we're humans and we're prone to self-justification, <laughs> it's
1: not it wouldn't be surprising that you would do that. Yeah, it's not hard to do that. I mean, one question that comes to mind, as I, I imagine we're trying to r- wrap up here, is... Uh, is there any indication of like the effectiveness of, of this with Paul and the church in Rome?
2: Yes, absolutely. There is, because uh, about 250 years from now, Constantine is going to pack up and leave to go somewhere else and turn this whole city over to the Christians.
0: Because there's too many of them.
2: I don't think it's because there's too many. It's because they believed this to the point that they don't care what you do to them they're happy to obey the sufferings of Christ. They were walking into the plague. They were walking into the arena. One of the problems they had in the early church is people trying to get martyred. And it's like no, 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 no. That If that happens that's good, but don't try because they, they embraced this so much. Rome became the city of Christ. It was the city of the pagan ruler, emperor, and they just turned it over to the church.
1: Mm-hmm. So Constantine went and Settled started to settle somewhere
2: yeah. else. Now, now he set up a Christian city and stuff, but uh, made Christianity official. But well, I think he surrendered. He surrendered to it, and he's tried to start over where he could kind of get control of the, you know, maybe have a chance to get control of things because he had lost it in Rome. That's really
1: interesting.
2: And we also know that Paul won
1: because this book is in the Bible. That's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> yeah, this, this is here. We're not reading you know about somebody else if the detractors had won there might be a different letter I think that's right yeah
2: but in the long run the detractors are still around and this, this their position is still pretty popular and you can understand why it would be